Good morning, men of God of the One Association. Uh, this is the third One Association, and it is an honor and a pleasure to be able to be up here this morning with my brother, Brent Vincent. Uh, we get the opportunity to share this morning. Like Pastor said, the international pastors are here for the first time in the three meetings. And so to me, it's very special, Brent, to have you here, man. And uh, uh, We weren't together for the first two. I wasn't even a pastor. I wasn't on the mission field then. But brother, we get to do this together. And for the very first time, we get to do it up here together. Amen. Um, this is a uh, very dear to my heart what I'm going to share with you this morning because we've been talking about the uh, restoration of the desolation of the inheritance. But I want to show you this morning what it looks like on the mission field, what it looks like in Peru and Chivai specifically for me and my family. So I'm going to give you an insight into what we're actually dealing with and what we're doing. Uh, it, it's the same thing that you guys do here at the Rising and all across the One Association. There's no difference other than the fact that we're somewhere else. And as he led to just a few minutes ago, Pastor Eric said, um, you know, we're not missionaries. And we said that at first because when we went in our hearts and minds, that's what we've always known. We're missionaries. And would you believe the very first question that we always get from people is, hey, so when are you going back? And Kim and I were kind of perplexed because we sold everything, homes, cars. We own nothing in America, in the United States. Our home is Chivai, Peru. Amen. The only thing that we have left here is you guys, Amen. is family. And that's the most important thing. But the Lord is raising up a generation of a family for us there in Chivai. So we're, we're receiving that same blessing there. But so because of that, Kim and I began to stop saying, missionary because everywhere we go the implication was very negative because they have seen many many missionaries come and go whether it's 10 days two weeks three months even a year or so in their minds the intention was you're leaving at some point and uh, we met many people with a negative connotation that yeah you guys come all you want to do is preach the gospel tell us tell us tell us you never live life with us you never show us what it looks like there's never a way of life in fact you don't even help us and I'll share a testimony about that later, because when the guys from the Arising were there, we ran into another guy just like that. And so this, this morning, is about the restoration of the hope in the hearts of the men and women that God is putting in our lives. Amen? Amen. All right, so uh, would you show the first picture for me, please, Zach? Because even before we get into that, I don't know if you could see, well, it's a little blurry, but this picture was in 2013. And... It's only five years ago. That's one year before the One Association was even incorporated. There were no talks of this whatsoever. Uh, when did you receive the vision on the napkin? Sometime after Some, Yeah. And so I want you to understand that this is only short five years ago. So when you hear the testimonies and the things that I speak of and the things that Brent's going to bring forth, guys, this is only five years ago. This is so new. But I want you to see the power of God that is working among all of us in this room. Um, if you're sitting in this room today and this is your very first time attending a one association, realize the power of God that is able to move through you with your obedience. Amen. Okay, so if we look starting on the right side, this is our first trip to Peru in 2013. This was with LCM. You have Pastor Vincent over here. And um, I'm just going to share how all this has impacted my life. Like I said, for Brent and I, the Lord started this five years ago. We didn't know each other. We met at a restaurant as we had come to discuss going on this mission trip. Um, 
to Matamoros, Mexico with Pastor Eric. He's like, yo, well, you can come to Peru with us. But before, it was a testing period. He wanted to see what kind of men of God we were. He can't just bring anybody on the mission field. So Brent and I had our very first mission trip to Matamoros, Mexico, probably, I don't know, Brent was about five or six months prior to this, right? Uh, and that was the very first time I was on the mission field. Cartel stopped us five minutes after crossing the border. And that's when I realized that the calling that God has given me about going to the nations was real. Um, because when you're detained for about 45 minutes with machine guns and you've never been on a mission field, reality check hits really quick. And uh, Brent had his whole family with him. I was there by myself. But I do realize at that moment, I was like, wow, Lord, this is real. This isn't just something we profess. It's not something we just talk about. What I have seen my brothers doing in the past, this is what it looks like. So fast forward to, to this trip in Peru. I'm standing next to Brent. Um, had no clue at this time, 2013, that I was going to be even called to Peru. I just knew I was, uh, had a heart for the nations, a heart for going, and that I was looking for discipleship. Right next to me, uh, Devin. Devin is here this morning. Devin. So, like I said, five years ago. So we have two pastors on the right. Then we have Devin, who is now receiving an amazing discipleship with his own father, who's standing next to him. Mike, where you at, brother? Amen. So Pastor Mike, discipling his son. Um, now Devin is leading worship with the Remnant Church. Amen? Yeah. Praise God. Uh, right next to Mike is JJ. JJ, where you at? I saw you. There you go. Um, <clears throat> JJ has been in my life since probably 2011 when I started making trips to LCM. Uh, JJ has been a brother of mine and has showed faithfulness this whole season that we've been knowing each other. And uh, JJ, I, I just want to say thank you, brother, because of men like you that have gone before me and can set the stage, that's what gives me hope. And I remember making these trips to and from Baton Rouge when I was with uh, Pastor Justin. When we got started there, we, we continued to make trips to and from Houston to Baton Rouge. And every time I'd go to LCM, I saw two things that were always... Um, that was always there. And that was JJ and Curtis. Did I see Curtis this morning? There you are, brother. Again, men of God. Now, you see, we, we don't all have to be called to the nations. That's what Pastor Eric was just alluding to. Some of us are called to go. Some are called to stay. Some are called to even stay in the local church so that way they can help to raise up more disciples, set that way of life. So I want to encourage all of you this morning. If you're not called to the nations, that doesn't mean you're a failure. It doesn't mean that your life, there's nothing left to it. No, because if everybody, Brent and I were talking about this last night. If everybody goes, who's going to raise up the next generation? Okay. So we need everybody. And so that gave me great comfort and hope. Every time I go to LCM, I say, okay, I don't know what's going to happen, but I will see JJ and I'll see Curtis. And that gave me a great hope. Um, okay. So next to him is Judah. Judah, where you at? There you are, brother. Okay. <laughs> I mean, this brother's been in the faith longer than I have. I've been watching his own way of life as he's being discipled. And look at what's happening. Along with Nick. Where are you at, Nick? Nick's not in the picture, but he went to Peru in 2014, right after this, with Pastor Radu. And so you could see how everything is just evolving from just this one picture. And, uh, you know, Judah and Nick and Peyton are getting ready to go into Turkey. Another Muslim-ridden country that... Uh, will not prevail once they get there. Amen. Yeah. Who's on the end? Pastor Eric. 
even at this point, like I said, he did not have the understanding of the one association. But even here, he's fulfilling that apostolic calling on his life. Because when he received it, a year later, it's incorporated. And now look, five years later, we're at our third one association convention, meeting, whatever we want to call it. I think this is an opportunity for us to just clap, give the Lord a, a clap offering and say, thank you to the Lord for what he's doing among us. This, guys, um, I've had forever since 2013, and this is forever on my mind. It's always said before me because this is a way of life, not just with LCM, but with the whole one association. That's what God is doing here. He's teaching us a way of life through discipleship. So let's go to our very first scripture, which is Hebrews 13, 7. It says, it says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of the way of life and of their way of life and imitate their faith. For me, guys, this scripture hits home. It's not just my leaders as my pastors, but like I said, it's even guys like Judah. Men, I look at men in the faith who have been in the faith longer than me, producing faithfulness. JJ, like I said, perfect example. A brother in the faith that gives me something to attain to. What does this life look like? And so it's not just for my leaders, but it's for the men in this room that have set the example before me. So keep that in mind. It's a way of life, guys, that we're learning here. And when I met all of these guys and we were on this trip, I want to imitate the way of life at which I have seen. So therefore, I started to receive the discipleship. Now, that's exactly what we're doing in Chivai, Peru. Because again, if you do not take what you're doing here and go to the nations or to another city or whichever church you go to, you might as well stay where you're at because you're not going to accomplish anything. Because if you're not doing it here, you're not going to do it there. The change in venue does not change your heart, right? Um, Zach, would you put up the next picture, please? So <clears throat> the word I'm sharing comes out of Ezekiel 37, and it's birthed from this place right here. This is our uh, prayer hut. It's on the mountaintop about 20 minutes from my house. And in the very far background is overlooking Chivai. And uh, I found this about three weeks after I was there. Of all the trips we had made, I never knew about it. It's like the Lord was just keeping this nice little nugget for us for when we arrived. And so since then, we've been going there to pray. Many of you in this room have actually prayed up there with me. And um, we continue that. One day, Kim and I were up there praying. And the Lord gave me this scripture from Ezekiel 37. Let's go there now. Ezekiel 37, starting in verse 11. And Justin Johnson. Justin, I'm so glad you're here this morning, bro. Justin Johnson. Oh, that was clutch. Amen. I'm going to drive home with Mike on Sunday evening, and I'm sure that's going to be the conversation of the vehicle. Justin Johnson. All right. Verse 11. So we were up there on this mountain. We were praying. And as we were praying, we were praying for the city of Chavai. We were praying for all the people that the Lord had put in our lives. And this is what he gave us. Verse 11 says, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, 
Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Oh, my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, he says, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Now, why that's so key for us is because so many people that we've come in contact, not only in Chivai, but in the Coca Canyon region. This is their sentiments. This is when we're talking to them. This is what they feel like. They feel like their hope is gone. Their hope is lost. They actually feel cut off from God. And the reason being is because Pastor Eric alluded to it in his message. Um, since the 1980s in Chivai, in the Coca Canyon region, they have not had the truth of the gospel preached to them. And so there's some that are less than 30 years old and they have never been evangelized. There's places that we go in the canyon, they don't have Bibles. They still haven't heard about Jesus, but that's why we're there. And so when the Lord spoke this to me, I was like, wow, <clears throat> Lord, this is so good because what we're praying for, your word actually tells us and gives us direction and tells us what's actually on the hearts of the men and women that we're coming in contact with. And, you know, they have received so many false prophets uh, so many men that were just temporary missionaries did not have a heart for the nation, did not have a heart for them, did not want to see their lives changed. And that's all it was, was a two week vacation hiatus or some me time, as Pastor said earlier. Um, so that's why we don't lead on to the missionary anymore. We call ourselves pastors, shepherds, and you'd be surprised the just saying that now changes their mindset that. Instead of asking when we're leaving, now they ask, where's the church? Where do you live? Where do you pastor? I mean, isn't that amazing? Just by changing that, you know, uh, we didn't have the concept of international pastor because to me, that's my home. So to me, I'm at home, you know, uh, I'm not international. You guys come visit me and I'll introduce you as international pastors. Amen. <laughs> so not only since the 1980s, has the word of God been lost, but the area of Coca Canyon and, and Peru in general, it was conquered by the Spaniards back in 1520. And so every town is set up with a plaza, Plaza de Armas. In, and in English, it means it's a square of arms. Each of those is set up to where there's a huge Catholic church. And uh, Anthony, you're here this morning, aren't you? So proud of my brother. We were in Arequipa, just as a side note. And uh, we seen one of the biggest Catholic churches there in Arequipa. And uh, the guys were like, hey, let's go in. Let's see what's going on. So we go in. It must have been about 100 or so people. And uh, Anthony says, man, I got a word. I'm going to just start reading scripture. He goes up to the front and begins to read out of John, I think it was. This brother began preaching after he read the scripture. He was up there for 30 minutes. Alarms start going off. And uh, the security people come out and they're like, and he just kept going. Then he was finished. Yeah, exactly. You don't shake off Anthony. And so when he, when he was done, here's the funny part. They came out and caused the scene, but they allowed him to finish. 
when he was finished, then he called us all over to reprimand us. And, uh, you know, what's sad is that's probably the first time that the word of God was actually read in that church. And that's what's sad. And so we have that in every town around Chivai. And uh, those churches have actually lost the spirit of God there. So we have lost not only the word of God, but the spirit of God. When we lose both of those things, men, the next thing we lose is the discipleship. We don't see that. There is no way of life there. There's no discipleship taking place at all, anywhere. There is now in Chivai, though. Amen. And um, we want to thank each and every one of you for not only praying for us, supporting us financially, and actually coming out on the mission field to labor alongside us. Because I don't live as far as Brent does, but I can tell you just being there by yourself and starting a work, many of you men know this, it's not easy. It's not easy. It doesn't matter how you dress it up. It doesn't matter what you say about it. it it's not easy. And so um, since we miss you guys so much, the family that we have is very dear to us. So when we Skype with our pastors, when we Skype with you guys, when we talk, when we text, that's life-giving to us. That's like having the root go straight to the water source of life. So uh, I say that because continue texting us. Don't ever think you're bothering us. Don't ever think that we're too busy not to reply or to talk because that gives us life. Amen. That's where some of our hope comes from. So let's go back into uh, verse 11 here at the end. I want to highlight that. It says, <clears throat> our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. Now the word hope, I want to focus on that for a second. Because I want to show you just how good God is with not only his word, but by using men who are obedient. The word hope, when we think of it in the natural, is this. It, it, it is a time to expect, to wait, or to look eagerly for, to lie and wait for. But the word in Hebrew is tikva. Yeah, it's tikva. And, and what that means, it's a uh, attachment, actually a cord. It's a collection of fibers that are twisted together to make a strong and firm cord. Okay, so it's an attachment. Now, Zach, you could put up that other uh, slide for me. As you know, the ministry is called Ichad to Peru. I can't read it, so let me pull it up here. Um, Pastor Matt found this for me and sent it. Now listen to this. Ichad is the Hebrew word for unity, for plural oneness, okay? The definition here. Oneness and strength derived from twisting and binding together. The example they use up here is this. It's the threads of a rope, although varying in size and thickness, when twisted together, form one single continuous rope, which derives its strength from its fibers twisting against themselves. Sounds a lot like hope, doesn't it? When I saw what hope was defined as, and I had remembered the picture that Pastor Matt sent me, I couldn't help but think that when God's people are in trouble, he knows what to send. And he has sent us with a mission statement of Ichad to Peru to bring about this unity. And what I had here is that God sends us to the nations that he needs because he knows what we have been equipped for. So I say that in light of don't think that everybody here is called to Peru or to Indonesia. We have brothers that are called to uh, Turkey. 
God is preparing each and every one of you specifically for the calling he has for you. It may look similar, but it's not going to be exact because God knows exactly what he needs to send to his people when and where. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, with this hope. Now we're getting into some testimonies here. There's a young lady in the town and she had a baby when she was very young at age of 16. And she feels like just this, she has no hope. Her life is cut off. All she does now is take care of the baby and work. She's not able to feel, fulfill her dreams, the things that she desires. So Kim read to her, uh, Romans four 16. Let's go there. We're going to read it. Romans four 16. Johnson. Uh, Justin, if I was able to give you the mic this morning, brother, what would you say? <laughs> Justin Johnson. All right, Romans 4, 16 and 17. This was the encouragement that we read to Lydia. Uh, because she was just feeling no hope, uh, cut off. And that um, because she had the child out of wedlock, uh, that the, 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 uh, her son would not have a father and so on and so forth. So Romans 4, 16. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not only to those who are of the law, but also of those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they are. Amen. And the key there was Kim was expressing to her. That God is our heavenly father and that her son will have a father and that the Lord is restoring her life. That what has happened to her in the past does not mean she's dead and cut off. So Kim was trying to give her some hope, trying to give her that life. And through that, she's being able to see the demonstration of that in our own lives. So as we continue to disciple her, as she spends more and more time in the church and with us, she's seeing that each and every day. Um, Proverbs eighteen twenty one says that the tongue gives the power or gives us the power to speak life and death. And, and the moment when Kim was speaking that to her about giving that life, um, you can see just the encouragement that she was receiving, like in her eyes, not only did she begin to cry, but just because they have never had people come into their lives and speak into it like this. All it was was, here's the scripture, and we'll see you maybe next year, the year after. Guys, that's not discipleship. That's not a way of life. And um, when the Arising team was there, we had the opportunity to meet a young man or an older guy. I think Anthony shared it in his uh, sermon when he was preaching. His name is Elehu. And I want to share that little testimony um, because this man has been living in North Chivai for about 20 years and he comes in contact with missionaries all the time and that was one of the first things he told us when we knocked on his door he's like oh, okay you missionaries um what do you have to tell me that is different than everybody else 
he's being discipled right now by a Jehovah's Witness at that time. He's like, yeah, he comes. He's faithful. Every Saturday we sit down and uh, he's actually teaching me. So he actually has reverence for this man because he's taking the time with him. Well, as our meeting continues, uh, we're able to pray for him. He's able to encounter the Holy Spirit. He begins to have healing in his shoulder, healing in his arm, more movement. Um, it was just an amazing, amazing time. God showed up and showed out for real. And through that, he began to see some validity in what we were speaking. And so we had invited him to church the next day. And he was like, no, 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 no thanks. And as uh, Anthony and um, Pastor Massey continued talking to him, and uh, he had experienced the Holy Spirit at that moment, his heart began to change. And then he said, okay, I'll come, but I can only come for an hour. But then you'll have to come get me. So he was trying to make every excuse possible not to come. And he was also trying to make it hard on us to see just how serious these guys are. We left. We said, okay, great. We'll see you in the morning at 8.30. We get there. We pick him up. Again, he reminds us, hey, I'm only going to be there for an hour. Okay, no problem. All the while, we knew something different. So we go through the church service. And again, the Holy Spirit shows up. He gets prayed for. He begins to receive healing in his leg. Next thing you know, he's there for three hours for service. Afterwards, he stays to fellowship with everybody. He eats with us. Now he spent five hours at our house. Remember, he only wanted to stay for an hour. Right before that, he didn't want to come at all. As the guys talked to him and said, hey, we're actually going to be doing an outreach tomorrow. We're going to be doing some painting at the elderly home and uh, lots of other projects. It, he, was, he was very interested. He's like, you know, what happened here today has really affected me. And I see that you guys are real. But yet, he still wasn't 100% sold out. So he said, if you guys are going... If you guys are going in the morning, again, pick me up and I'll go with you. Sure enough, next morning, 8.30, we're there. We pick him up. He comes with us and he works for four hours. Now, mind you, this guy's like in his late 60s walking with a staff and he's painting for four and a half hours with his staff and then has lunch with us. And after that, I think it might have been Pastor Massey he was talking to and he said, you know, um, I see now what you guys do. And what you do and who you are is real. And he was very, uh, I, I don't want to say impressed, but I think moved by the spirit because not only he, did he receive, but he also was able to see our lives in action. So he saw the way of life in which we were discipled. He told us then, I want to continue coming to the church. I want to continue to be around you guys. I want to do life with you. And he has been. He's been faithful to come. Every time we've had a service, he comes. Now we're doing discipleship helps and that's a different story, but uh, I see him around town, and he still wants to be a part of what's going on. And so, guys, I want to encourage you that our lives are a demonstration of what we believe, right? Okay. It's a, yeah, it's, it's a way of life. Um, Juana. Juana is the wife of Santiago, and uh, that's a man of peace that we've met many years ago. And what's happening in that home, in that family, is absolutely amazing. Many of you that have come to Peru have actually met them. And so we are praying right now for the restoration and healing for Juana. She had a uh, back infection. 
she was um, hospitalized and then had to go through some therapy and recovery. And so at this point, she's learning how to walk again because she didn't walk for two years. But we're seeing that slow process. And um, even when Pastor Eric was there, he prayed for her and he feels like she's going to be healed, which is exactly what we had told her about three weeks before that. We know that the healing is coming, but it is a process. And we feel like it's a process because... They need to continue to emulate our way of life, and they have to get some other things in their life in order. And as they do, I think the healing is going to continue to come. So it, it is a process, but we're encouraged because we're getting to see a woman that is set before us receive restoration of hope in her heart, not only for the gospel, but for physical healing. So it comes not only spiritually, but also comes physically. Um, so I mentioned Santiago. I couldn't be any prouder of this man. Um, I'm sure it's the same way a lot of the pastors feel about some of their disciples. Uh, you kind of feel like a proud father because the things that he says, the ways that he demonstrates his life is uh, none other. And he's only, he's only been in our lives here in Chivai the whole eight months that we've been there. We've known him before, but he has not been able to see our lives up close. So for eight months now... Um, the changes that we see I'll give you an example of one they work non-stop there it's 24 7 uh, seven days a week and uh, they open at six for their store and they close at eight at night after discussing with him about the sabbath and um, just how we need to devote and prioritize our time with the lord he now takes off sundays until like four o'clock in the afternoon and he spends all morning with us at church, fellowshipping, cooking for us, eating with us. And uh, this is the part that where you begin to see discipleship and that way of life uh, having that ripple effect. Because what I received with my pastors, I've gone out to the mission field and I'm doing it there in Chivai. Not only am I seeing it in Santiago's life, as Brent and I were talking about last night, it's like a second and third generation of disciples. Santiago indirectly because of his uh, obedience and his way of life that is mimicking and imitating our way of life. We're starting to see him have an impact on people around him. And um, in particular, another young man that's coming to church with us and being discipled, his name is Renee. Again, works, works, works. Well, Santiago began to share with him the importance of not working and how that when you give that time to the Lord on Sunday, he said, man, my store is closed. I have not lost any revenue. Not at all. So when he's closed for the eight hours, he does not lose any revenue. He's, he gets the same amount of money at the end of the week as when he was open. And I said, amen, man. That is the blessing that you'll receive by being obedient to the word of God. So he's sharing this with Renee. And, oh, probably about two or three weeks into him coming, Renee comes to me and he says, Pastor, I want to tell you that I'm going to devote every Sunday to the church now. Okay. Uh, well, you know, I'm thinking in my mind, well, when we see this, we'll believe it. And I'm like, amen, brother, uh, uh, we'll be praying. And so he has begun this process. He brings his family every Sunday and he closes. He has a restaurant and a coffee shop. He closes both of them for the duration of that time. And again, he's giving the same testimony. We haven't lost any revenue. Well, when, we're, when we are closed, the Lord multiplies. And so... 
it's just an amazing opportunity because I'm getting to see already eight months into it, my way of life being demonstrated to these men and them already affecting one another. And they don't even fully understand the whole concept of discipleship yet because these are areas we haven't even gotten to. Uh, we are still in the process of making sure everybody knows the Old Testament from the Newer Testament, older and newer, where the books of the Bible are. I mean, this is how far 30 years of not having the Word of God, not having the Spirit of God, not having discipleship. That's what happens is a whole generation or two become extinct and and if we're not careful there's so many churches in america today they're going down this same path yes it's church they're filled with thousands of people no one is being discipled nobody can even nobody can when the pastors leave no one from their congregation can step up and preach we're having to hire pastors and have people from other churches come and preach in your own church because you have not raised up disciples the next generation is going to die out. And that's what's so special about the one association is that all of us have a heart for discipleship. We are learning from Pastor Eric and, you know, from LCM as this thing has been incorporated, what discipleship looks like. What is that way of life? What should we be imitating as the leaders? We see their lives and that's what we should be doing. And if we're not doing it, we're in jeopardy of 30 years of having generations become extinct. <clears throat> Let's go back to um, Ezekiel thirty-seven eleven. So just before we left, Ezekiel thirty-seven verse uh, eleven. Just before we left, we had um, Brother Gabriel and his wife come and visit us, and during that time, we had a uh, domestic violence situation take place with one of the brothers there at church and Gabriel came with me. We took care of the situation. We began to minister to this guy and explain everything going on. And at this moment, um, his wife is not coming to church with him because she wants some separation. And I get it. I understand. Uh, we, we're ministering to her on the side. The girls are taking care of that while we take care of, of, of the gentleman. Um, through this, though, this is the cool thing. Not only is he receiving discipleship, he's receiving teaching and counseling, and he has been more faithful with church now than before and his way of life. I have him texting me. He's texting me scriptures. I have given him homework. He's texting me the scriptures that he's sending his wife. So there's a level of accountability there. Through that, it has begun to impact his parents. So now his mom and dad are coming to the church. See, they're seeing a change in their son from his behavior, and that shift that's taking place there is bringing in his mom and dad. So, you see, people are discipling people by the way of life, and they don't even realize what's happening there. And what's funny is I met this gentleman's father about a month or so prior. We went to lunch. He owns a restaurant. We went to lunch there with the whole church. There was probably 23 of us. And... Um, his father had invited us to his restaurant. And uh, when, this is funny because we all agree to go. And at the time, Kim and I are talking. We're like, wait a minute. We don't have any money to pay for this. And we know the people that came with us do not have money because they're in our church. And uh, <laughs> I mean, look, we take up an offering and we know the offering. I mean, we praise God for it, but... You know, when, when you receive the offering, 
and uh, praise the Lord, it's 22 solis, which is about $6.80. It's the concept that they understand tithing and, and tithing from the first fruit. So we praise God for that. But that's not enough to feed 23 people. So the, the, the father comes to me. Oh, no, don't worry about it. I was like, whoa, wait, don't worry about it. There's 23 people here, not just my family. No, no, we invited you. We're paying. Don't worry about it. It's on us. What a blessing. And this man, so of course we invited him to church for a month straight. I'd go see him two or three times a week. Wouldn't come, wouldn't come, wouldn't come. But I'm going to continue. But because of what happened in his son's life, now he's coming. Praise the Lord. Okay, Ezekiel, back in uh, 37, um, where it speaks about dry bones, no hope, being cut off. Those bones, those bones represent the house of Israel, it says. Um, from that, go with me to Ezekiel 18. Ezekiel 18, it's right before. So we're speaking about the house of Israel. Justin Johnson. That's too funny. Ezekiel 18. Okay, go on down. We're going to start in verse 30. <clears throat> Therefore, O house of Israel, I will judge you, each one according to his ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent, turn away from your offenses, then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. And see, that's what we're seeing. The domestic violence situation we had at that moment, while Gabriel and I were in there talking to him, his wife shows up. And we had just finished talking to him. He repented to us. He repented to the Lord. And we were in the midst of talking to him about next step is you need to repent to your wife. And the Lord shows up. She comes in. We have that opportunity. But I warned him in advance. I said, brother, you do what's right. You repent. But I'm telling you, do not expect a lot of grace and mercy from her. Don't even, don't even expect that she's going to say, yes, honey, that's okay. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. She just stood there. She was like, mm-hmm, 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 bye. And, um, you know, he was prepared in advance for it. So sure, he was upset. He was crying. He felt like, okay, what happened here? Yes, I was wrong, but I repented. And this is the thanks I get. But you see, there's still consequences with our sin. Just because we repent does not mean that things are just eliminated from our lives. It's not like a, you know... Just go through the drive through do it, go on, move on. No, we still have consequences in our lives from the sin that we desire to do. So he's had the opportunity to do that, but see that that repentance is working in his life. Now, when we get back, um, the other brothers that are there with him that have texted me said now he wants to be water baptized. So see, we're taking steps and we're not even there. Just goes to show you the power of God. And as we lay down the foundation and show what a way of life is and what discipleship looks like, the men around him are beginning to do the same. And so 
when we get back, that's something for us to embark on. Water baptism, restoration now with his wife, and just moving forward in that. Um, Santiago, I mentioned him. They had the opportunity to do the same thing. He and his wife, you know, uh, it's like very typical in Mexico, also in uh, Peru, other Hispanic countries, that they don't marry. Or they go many, many years without marrying. And that was a situation with Santiago. <clears throat> so he and his wife came to us one day just very broken because we've been discipling and talking about all these hard things. And these are the things that we need to get out on the table up front. They come to us and they want to repent. And so they express their heart. They repent to one another, repent to the Lord, repent to us. And now they're ready for the next season in their life. So when we return, both of them want to be water baptized. We have to make a trip to Cusco with Santiago to help get all that officially taken care of. And they want to plan a wedding. A wedding that is on the covenant of God. And so I just want to be encouraging to you guys that, you know, eight months in, and this is the fruit of our labor. This is the fruit of what we see here today. This is the fruit of what being discipled and sharing life with one another. This way of life of the one association is producing fruit already in foreign countries. And that's what this is all about. Amen. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> I showed you. Zach, could you go back to the uh, prayer hut, please? So, like I said, this is about 20 minutes from my house. It's on a mountaintop. And when I'm there, you feel just the peace of God. And this leads me to my next point is that why, Lord, when I'm here, there's like the direct connection. It's like I'm actually I'm just plugged directly into the Lord's source and there's no distraction I can hear clearly, I can see clearly, receive revelation. But when I'm in my own home, even though there's peace and shalom, uh, it's not the same. So I begin to pray about that and just think, Lord, why is it so different there than otherwhere, other places? And it goes right along with what we're teaching, is that I see through the word, restoration begins on the mountaintop. And so when I'm here and I receive revelation from the Lord, he's bringing about not only restoration in my own heart first and in my own life, but for the people of Chavai. And that's why we go up there to pray. So I want to show you this, how the restoration occurs on mountains uh, for time's sake, because Brent flew all the way from Indonesia. I want to give him about five or ten minutes to speak. So um, don't. That's enough, huh? 15 I'm, I'm a hurry okay guys we're going to go through these five and we're not going to turn to the scripture so that way brent has time so it's five five because that's the number of grace and you see how it ends up okay first in genesis 8 we have noah's ark noah's ark it comes to rest on mount ararat which again we're going to see the beginning of restoration from not only the land but for humanity we have abraham in genesis 12 through 17 mount moriah here we see the restoration of humanity again through circumcision. Through circumcision of the flesh, if you're the seed of Abraham, or if we're adopted in, it's the circumcision of the heart. Okay, then we have Moses, Exodus 19, on Mount Sinai. When God reveals himself and he speaks the Ten Commandments, Moses then gives it to the people. And we have restoration of humanity taking place again. Now let's all go to this one, Isaiah 25. This one is good, um, and I don't want to skip it. Isaiah 25, 7 and 8. Bear with me, Brent. <clears throat> Isaiah 
Justin, you there? Figured instead of having say, Justin, we'll just ask you if you're there. Okay, Isaiah 25, verse 7 and 8. On this mountain, where at? On this mountain. He will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove, remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. So here we have Mount Zion. Mount Zion will destroy the veil for the nation. So again, we see the restoration of all the nations taking place, which this brings me to the fifth one is Jesus. Jesus in John 19 is on Mount Calvary, Golgotha. And what we see here is Jesus is the example of restoration in our lives. He is the one who has torn the veil for us. He is the one who is restoring humanity back to the father. He's the one who has conquered death, conquered the grave, conquered sin. All for our glory. That's his grace given to us. That's why I put him at number five. Um, so as we see, or as I saw, this is what the Lord showed me is how restoration begins on the mountaintop. And so now having this new revelation, it really brings about encouragement for me to go here more. Um, because I haven't been as faithful as I would like to, to go every single day. Um, but now having this new revelation and understanding of the mountaintop, I want to be more faithful in that area of prayer, not only for the people, but for myself and my family. <clears throat> um, the last point here, the last point I want to show you back in Ezekiel 37. We're actually going to read it this time. Verse 11. I want to show you through this, the order of restoration that I see. Ezekiel 37. Verse 11. So this is going to be... <clears throat> from verse 11 to 14 is going to be an order of restoration that brings about new life and how it parallels discipleship, which is a way of life. So we'll have a new life and a way of life demonstrated here. Uh, let's pick up in verse 12. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Oh, my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. The first point here is that the Lord is going to bring them out. He's bringing them out of a valley of death. He's bringing them out of a valley of dry bones. This is a spiritual death taking place. So this is the first point is that they're being called out. Then he goes on to say, I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Here He's taking them in. So he's brought them out of the valley and now he's bringing them in. This is the body of Christ. The body of Christ will see how it parallels with discipleship. Keep going. Verse 13. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves, when he opens their graves, that is their conversion. Because when he opens their graves and he brings them out, then they will know that he is the Lord. That is their conversion. That is their being born again. The last one, <clears throat> verse 14. He says, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. That is the filling of the Holy Spirit. That is by evidence of speaking in tongues. That is that they're receiving a new heart. They're receiving a new spirit. So that is the four. It is the, the bringing out, 
the bringing in, the conversion, and then being filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, the discipleship aspect of it. That's why it is so important is because it's a way of life. Now watch how this plays. When you bring them out, that is the selection or the take-in process. Let's go to Mark chapter 3. We're going to run through these four, and then uh, Brent will be ready. All right, Mark chapter 3, verse 13. For those of you that have gone through the Talmudium series, those of you who have received this discipleship series are very familiar with this process. Um, those of you in the room that are not, this teaching is online by most of the pastors. Uh, it's at LCM, the Talmudium series. Uh, we did, that was last January? Last January, right? So, yeah. Um, and it's a fantastic teaching, but it, it, it describes all of what I'm saying in detail. So Mark chapter 3, <clears throat> starting in verse 13, says, Jesus went up on a what? Mountainside. Again, on top of the mountain is where restoration begins. He went up on the mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed the twelve. So this is when Jesus is choosing the disciples. So right here, he's taking them out of something. Matthew eleven twenty nine. We're going to see it's the way of life. Matthew eleven twenty nine says this. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So now Jesus has taken out those that he has chosen, that he wants. He's bringing them near to him to show him, to show them his way of life. The next one, that was a consecration and attachment, which goes back to the body of Christ. When they're being consecrated, they're being made holy. They're being set apart. That's why he chose them. Uh, let's go to John 15, 15. This is the next phase of discipleship, which is reproduction and initiation, which goes with being born again. John 15, 15. Ready? It says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father. I have made known to you. You did. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that's the phase of reproduction and, and initiation that we have gone and we're producing fruit. We're seeing this actually take place in our lives eight months in. Uh, the last one is magnify or multiply. It goes back to the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's John 14, 12. So just go um, just up from where we were, previous chapter, 14, 12. <clears throat> I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. So this is what I'm... This is what I'm seeing take place now with Santiago and some of the other men that are in my life. They're being equipped and prepared and already beginning to do the exact same thing that I have been doing. 
And my hope and my prayer for these men is that one day I can pass off to them the church and the discipleship and move on because that's what discipleship is. You want to raise men up that are going to stand on your shoulders, go further than you, and be able to do exactly what you were doing, but only do it better. And, and I think there's a perfect example. Uh, Brent has gone before me. And a year out, I'm, I'm not even having to go through some of the struggles that he went through because I have seen his way of life. I have kept in touch with him, and I'm watching from afar what is transpiring, what is taking place. There's no need for me to replicate the things that are not producing fruit. We have Nick, Judah, and Peyton leaving. Those three men are going to be light years ahead of Brent and I because they're getting to watch not just Brent, but they're watching myself as well. So the areas where I'm not producing fruit and things are not being productive, there's no need to do that. So when they leave, they'll be light years ahead of us. And when they hit the ground, they'll probably see fruit in the first two or three months. What took Brent a year, year and a half has taken me eight months. These guys will be there in two or three months. It'll be being produced in their lives. Amen. Okay, I want to finish on Acts chapter 1, verse 4. <clears throat> and this kind of brings everything to a close and get ready for uh, Brent. Two to three minutes, Brent. Okay. Acts 1. What time is it? Yeah, 845. We've got plenty of time. A couple minutes. All right. Acts chapter 1. Let me get there. Verse 4, <clears throat> on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Amen. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he replied, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And guys, this is where we are. We're receiving a way of life of discipleship. And what that produces is fruit whenever it's carried out in that same manner. But the thing is, not only do we have to receive the, the discipleship, but we first have to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. If we leave and go anywhere, whether it's a nation, a church, or even remaining within your own church, if we're not empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can get there and nothing will happen because we will not be empowered to do what God has sent us to do. Amen? Hey, y'all hop on your feet for a minute. Morning meetings, days that are full of teaching. It's very, very easy. Wow, the birds of prey are attacking the sacrifice. I hope it's not because they smell death. <laughs> It'd be very easy to let this just kind of pass through. And it's important that we don't do that. So well, I got you on your feet for a second. When Pastor Brasso says, hey, the word hope is this finely twisted group of fibers that forms a rope. 
The word of God is so good. The first time that actually appears in the word, that's Joshua. Joshua 2. It was a woman who recognized that her city was under destruction. And the only way she'd get out is to hang hope outside of her window. And it was holding on to that hope that caused her to become a part of the lineage of Christ. It's crazy. It's crazy. This is the same hope that 1 Peter 3.15 says, Listen, you'll be ready every time somebody asks you what the reason that you have hope is. See, Buddy Brasso went into a town where hope had died. I've been there many times. And he finds people. What a great name. Lydia, whose hope had died. Elihu, whose hope had died. These are biblical names. They're biblical names because somebody named these kids wanting their life to be filled with hope and purpose, but it had died. Juana, Santiago. Renee's the only one on the list that's not found in the Spanish version of the Bible. And where there was no hope, they now have hope.